The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. So is the whole world about to explode? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Line of Fire. Michael Brown here as we start our week together, all ready to infuse you with faith, truth, and courage to help you stand strong in the Lord. Here's the number to call, 866-348-7884, 866-34-TRUTH. I want to ask you a question in terms of your own views, especially if you've studied this in the Bible. Do you expect the world to get better before Jesus comes? The gospel maybe goes through the world that has a powerful impact and the world gets better and better as the gospel spreads around the world before Jesus returns? Do you expect the world to get worse before Jesus returns? That people will reject the light more and more and chaos will erupt and that's how you see the scriptures and then the end will come? Do you see it as unclear biblically? Do you just not think about it? Because who knows where we are anyway in terms of the end of the world. So let's do what we can today. What's your own take? 866-34-TRUTH. Now, if you have a Bible or theology or political or cultural question you want to talk to me about, feel free to give me a call. 866-348-7884. But I'm going to focus first on the state of the world today the state of America today, because it it can easily feel like everything's exploding. It can easily feel like we are in such chaotic times that everything's about to collapse. It could easily feel just within America that our nation could soon be completely divided ideologically to the point that we could be divided in terms of states seceding from the union or we're still some type of bloody civil war. God forbid that it comes to that. And the last thing, let me say this clearly, the last thing I am advocating is time to get your weapons and prepare for battle. No, quite the contrary. I'm telling believers, let's focus on the spiritual battle. Let's focus on repentance in our own lives. Let's focus on doing what Jesus called us to do, because that is the hope of America. That is the hope of the world. That being said, we're definitely living in chaotic times. And, and things feel as if they're spiraling out of control. I was, I was looking yesterday on Drudge Report, which is conservative, used to be pro-Trump, then turned anti-Trump, but it is a collection of headlines. It's, it's widely used, widely read, started by Matt Drudge years ago, Drudge Report. Uh, many times you could look at that and then listen to Rush Limbaugh and see that a lot of, because he would do a lot of research before his shows and things like that, but a lot of what he talked about was drawn from headlines on Drudge Report. So there's a certain environment that's created, a certain mindset that's created, and it's certainly given to sensation, sensationalism. That being said, I'm looking at it, fully aware of what Drudge is, and, and it almost gets my blood boiling or heart beating. In other words, whoa, it's, everything's crazy and things are going berserk. Is that the case? Is America about to explode? Is the world about to explode? Or is it just sensationalistic headlines? Is it that we're bombarded 24-7 because of social media? What do you think? 
Are, are things as bad as they feel? Or is the feeling created by our access to 24-7 news and constant interaction on social media and amplifying what's happening around the world? What I want to do is, is take a sober look and give you my perspective as your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. And then we can draw our conclusions. And then we can tie that in with Scripture as we understand it. All right? So first, let's listen to some interaction with Pastor Jack Hibbs, a leading pastor in California, talking to Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council. And they're talking about the raid on President Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago, Florida, the FBI raid backed by the Department of Justice. Uh, Here's what they have to say. But we see behind the political climate, the spiritual climate, and it's that lawlessness, the, the, the spirit of lawlessness has already been released in this age. Yeah. Tony, well said. That's exactly what we're looking at. People have a tendency in the flesh, in the emotions, to look at the person in front of them as being the problem, when as believers, we look at the powers behind that individual. So how do we know? How can we tell by by what is being produced? So you ask yourself, with the lawlessness, with what seemingly appears to be a vast majority of our government leaders departing from the Constitution, breeding this this um, this air and atmosphere of confusion and fear. Again, Larry Totten said it perfectly well to stir up a situation and create a problem uh, whereby they step in and and take power. This is unconstitutional. You and I love the Constitution. We understand its origins and how it honors God and honors the individual rights of every person. But, Tony, clearly there are those who uh, do not believe that. We have people in power today that do not believe in the Constitution. And this has been going on for a long time now. And is it possible, Tony, that we as believers are watching uh, the the, the death throes, as it were, of our republic? Uh, Lincoln made it very clear that we're too strong to be destroyed from the outside, that if we're ever going to be destroyed, it would be from within. So could we be waking up to something that has been ongoing? If true, how should the believer respond? I actually think, Tony, the only hope is for the believer to vote like they've never voted before. All right. So obviously, Pastor Hibbs believes in the spiritual first. He believes in this battle being ultimately a spiritual battle and that the gospel is the hope of America. Yet he's saying in terms of the current political situation and where things are going, in his view, with one party, which is not supportive of the rule of law, the Constitution and could do things as dastardly as raid a former president's uh, residence without legal warrant. That would be his perspective, that the only solution is to vote like you've never voted. Let's listen to Professor Victor Davis Hansen. He's on Fox News, again, talking about the raid on the president. I'll give you my own perspective in a moment on that. But talking about the raid on the president's home, uh, Hansen is a conservative and intellectual with the Hoover Institute, Let's listen to what he had to say. We'll play a couple of clips. At moments like this, why? Why has what we've watched over the last 24 hours taken place? Why have they targeted Donald Trump? Well, they're afraid in the short term, but in long term, they believe they're morally superior to America, and therefore any means necessary or justifiable for their 
morally superior ends. That right now, we don't have the rule of law in Washington. Whether you're targeted or exempt depends on your ideology. So we, in the past, when there was, a, there was a dispute over the archives of presidential papers, Barack Obama just said, I'm not going to turn them over, the freedom of information. He spent $30 million resisting efforts to do that. George Bush had an executive order and said, you know what, I'm not going to do this. And that was adjudicated. And now we go after a president and go to his house with 30 agents. In the past, when uh, a high official was called for a congressional subpoena, Eric Holder just said, I'm not going, and I'm not turning over any of this fast and furious. The idea that you would put him in shackles or you'd confront him with his family and grab his phone is just ridiculous. But this is what we're doing on ideological basis. And when you start to do that, you don't have a democracy anymore. And I don't think we do. All right, so here's someone who is carefully spoken. You may agree with him or disagree, but the man is a scholar and an intellectual saying in America, we don't have a democracy anymore. And the way you're going to be treated by the law is based on your own ideology, where you fall in the ideological perspective. perspective. All right, one more quote from Victor Davis Hanson. The second thing is this January 6th committee, Will, is sort of like a French Robespierre Committee on Public Safety. To be on that committee, you have to have one criteria, and you had to vote to impeach Donald Trump. If you're a Republican, there was one other qualification. You had to be politically inert, with no future. And it was deductive. It started with the premise that we're going to destroy Donald Trump, and then we're going to bring in witnesses, and we're going to allow narratives for that end. There's going to be no cross-examination. There's going to be no disinterested counsel. We know that when Dick Cheney himself made a commercial and he bragged about his daughter that she was the one power that could stop Donald Trump. But that's not what her job is on that committee. It's to be disinterested. It's to be inductive. It's to find out what happened on January 6th, not start with a boast that you're going to destroy Donald Trump and make the witnesses and the testimony fit that. Yeah. So here is someone saying things have gotten completely out of control in America. And when in our lifetime have we seen something on this level? So my perspective, and we're not going to focus on this at all. I'm just using this as a touch point. My perspective at all, meaning today, my perspective on the raid of President Trump's home is it is absolutely exceptional and extraordinary and unprecedented. I don't think anyone would argue with that in terms of our history and what has and hasn't happened. If. It was called for, and I don't know. I, I do not have sufficient data. I don't know the actual factual details. Are there things that, that the FBI or Department of Justice knew about that others don't know about? Or as Ben Shapiro said, was this a deep sea fishing expedition? So if, in fact, it was warranted, then President Trump should suffer the consequences of his highly illegal, dangerous actions, as long as everybody's held to the same standard, including former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, including President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and by implication, President Biden as well. As, as long as the same standards are used for everybody, let it be done. If, in fact, this is unwarranted, then let the alarm be sounded. Let this injustice be exposed. Let the Department of Justice and FBI 
held, be held up to the highest level of scrutiny and accountability. Either way, it's a serious moment in our history. But right now, are things worse than they've ever been in America, in the world? Are these the worst of times that we've ever seen? We come back, we're going to take a look at, at some stats that may surprise you. I'm going to do my best to put everything in perspective today and leave you, regardless of what's happening in the world around us, leave you with a sense of holy confidence because God remains God. Even when the mountains are carried into the sea, he remains our place of refuge and strength. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I want to read a a note, a comment that was just sent to me uh, by a colleague. We were interacting earlier today, and I told him about my latest book that we we started signing moments ago, right before the show, the the first 140 or so pre-orders for the political seduction of the church started signing those. We'll be sending these books out this week. You can still pre-order a signed numbered copy of the first edition. You can always get signed copies later, but signed numbered copy of the first edition, kind of a collector's item by going to askdrbrown.org. You'll see it right on the homepage. If you, if you just go order elsewhere, that's great, but the books will be available September 6th to the general public. So this colleague sent me a note. That, that he is called to influence government like a Daniel, right? So to serve as an advisor, to serve as one that can give godly counsel and, and, and receive insight from the Lord. He said, but our movement got a little misaligned. So many of us in the Pentecostal charismatic world seeking to have a positive impact on the world around us, he said, instead of being a kingdom movement that influenced government, we became a political movement. Uh, friends, that's exactly what has happened, that we put politics first and gospel second, that we got obsessed with politics, that we got obsessed with being for or against Trump, that, well, it goes on and on. But that's what I open up in the political seduction of the church. That's how there ended up being so many false prophecies. That's how QAnon conspiracies took root, that our hearts, with even with good intention, ended up in the wrong place. And to make that mistake again is basically to forfeit our role of being salt and light. Here, when we operate as everybody else does, we cease to operate as disciples of Jesus. We cease to use the weapons, the spiritual weapons that God has given us. Are we involved politically? Of course. Are we involved socially, culturally? Of course. But these are secondary aspects of our primary spiritual gospel-based work. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. The state of America today, in some ways, it feels like things are worse than they've ever been. And we'll consider in a little while the effects of radical LGBTQ plus activism and where that's driven things. 
And in, in those ways, we are far and away, light years, far and away worse than we've ever been in America in terms of understanding issues having to do with sexuality and gender and the meaning of marriage and things like that. And, it, and in, it, for sure, things like access to porn, breakdown of the family, we're in the worst state we've ever been in in America by far. On the other hand, if you look at, say, segregation, during the days of segregation compared to now, light years ahead, days of slavery compared to now, multiple light years ahead. Let's, let's look at some stats here, okay? Let's take a look at abortion stats, okay? So abortion, uh, and, and you're going to have different figures from different organizations, Guttmacher Institute versus CDC. But Roe v. Wade, so I'm just going to use the, the Guttmacher stats. They've got abortion 744,000 by 1983. So 10 years later, that number's up to 1.575 million, right? So it's more than doubled, okay? And it, it, oh, say 1990, it's 1.6 million. But then, since then, it's, it's been in decline, all right? It's been in decline. It's even gotten under 900,000. These are horribly high figures. But I just want to point out that it's almost half of what it was back in 1990. Well, that's an improvement. And Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Uh, let's take a look at... Uh, marriage and children born out of wedlock. Let's take a look at those stats. Uh, growth of out of wedlock child in the United States from 1929 to when the figure was maybe 3% to, oh, 1990 when it was maybe 33% to 2010 when it got to about 41%. So that's been a terrible spike, a horrific spike in the wrong direction, which has accounted for a lot more family breakdown and other issues over time. So, I mean, that's, that's a shocker. So one stat, abortion, has, has been steadily improving, although still out of control, but steadily improving. And here another going very much in the wrong direction. Uh, what, what about other stats? Uh, how, how about uh, violent crime? <clears throat> violent crime. So uh, these are going to be looked at statistically because in 1960, American population was 179 million, and, and today it's about 330 million. All right? So just the population's uh, just about doubled. So you'd expect the totals to, to double. What's interesting is that overall stats for violent crime, they got much higher, 70s into the 80s, uh, into the 90s, but the total numbers, not just percentages, total numbers are much lower now than they were 20 years ago in terms of violent crime. Now you break it down into various categories, violent crime, property, murder, rape, uh, even, even murders, are less now. They're substantially less every year in America. It doesn't feel like that, does it? So you have to realize a lot of the feeling we're getting is because of constant news reporting and constant stats and constant bombardment from social media. All right, let's, let's keep going. Um, drug use. Drug use in America. 
I mean, we know about the, the epidemic with fentanyl deaths and things like that, right? And rise in opiates. But, but check this out. The rate of overall drug use has declined by roughly 30% over the past three decades. That's from 79 to 2011. This is just an illustrative one. And, and since then, it has not gone up to, to what it was before. So drug, drug use, illegal drug use down overall. Isn't that striking? I'm not saying that we're heading in the right direction. I'm simply saying in different ways, statistically and other measurable ways, things were much worse at times past in America on certain categories than they are today. Uh, <clears throat> all right. How about worldwide? This one's going to surprise you because there's Russia's war with Ukraine and, and always the saber rattling of different nations and Iran and terrorism and Israel getting bombarded by 1,100 rockets from Gaza, Gaza Strip. Well, check this out. Uh, percentage of years in which the great powers fought one another. Okay, and this is, uh, let's see, 1,500. Let me scroll down a little here to, uh, just trying to get my figures up here to what, mid-2010s. Uh, so, so, so look at this, up to 2015. So you, you have... Yeah, you know, sixteen hundred. So it's been steadily going down in terms of world conflict, right? So you have World War One, and you've got thirty something percent of the world powers fighting each other, but it, it's gone way down. Those who are watching, and if you can get get on later, if you're not watching, go to askdrbrown.org uh, on uh, and, and click to watch, or just go to YouTube, ask Dear Brown on YouTube to watch on our channel there. You'd see all these charts that we're putting up as I'm talking and describing them to you. But, but we are in, in an incredibly down period in terms of world war conflict right now compared to times in world history. I mean, dr dramatically lower. That things could explode at any moment. I understand that even Israel has had many, many times much, much worse, especially with the major intifadas. But there's now more peace with more nations they've had in the Middle East than, than any time in modern Israel's history. So things are not worse. Than, you want to compare the world state now to during World War II or World War I, just for example, as bad as relations are with America and Russia. What about in the height of the Cold War? What about the Cuban Missile Crisis? All right, now, again, on the flip side, let's look at this tweet. Ryan Anderson retweeted uh, something from Billboard Chris. Playing with the opposite gender toys is a sign your child is transgender. That's exactly what Boston Children's Hospital says. Ryan Anderson, Dr. Anderson, tweeted this. In two generations, we went from there's no such thing as boys' toys to if you play with G.I. Joe, you are a boy trapped in a girl's body. That's a question I began to ask with transgender stuff. Well, he's acting like a girl. Well, what is a girl? What? Does that mean he likes pink? Does, does that mean he likes girl toys? I thought you told us that, that there were no gender distinctions with, with children's toys, color preferences, etc. And then the Babylon Bee, with ripping sarcasm, but righteously so, has this story. So sarcastic satire, Christian website, Harvard Med School officially replaces oath, do no harm with mutilate kids for money. This is really not an overstatement because Harvard Medical School is, is supporting transitioning minors, transitioning children. 
That's replacing the medical oath of do no harm with mutilate kids for money. Okay, so you have some things in America today, friends, that are worse than they've ever been off the charts. You have some other things that are much better than they were in the past. You have some other things that are the same, others going on one trajectory, others on another trajectory. It is a, a fragile time in America because of the potential for division. But overall, you can't say this is the worst things have ever been in America. It's much more complex than that, nor can you say, by any stretch of the imagination, this is the worst things have been all around the world. So where do we stand? Oh, things are in a very fragile, volatile situation. But no, the whole world is not about to explode. We'll be right back. the line of fire with your host dr michael brown get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH here again is dr michael brown welcome welcome to the line of fire i'm going to go to the phones in a moment 866-34-TRUTH and get your own feedback what's your own view on what the bible says about where the world is going how does that apply to us today what should we make of that? How should it influence the way we pray and live and act and serve decisions that we make? Let me say this again. We are in a very fragile, volatile situation in America. There, there really could be a massive breakdown of the unity of our country. And right now it seems to be very tenuous unity. By unity, I mean that we are the United States, right? Could it be that you end up with red states, blue states, and two separate nations or multiple smaller nations or who knows? Anything is possible, right? It's, it's not written in the Bible that it has to go one way or the other, right? Whole empires, massive empires that ruled much of the world disappeared. They don't exist anymore, as powerful as they were in their day. If someone said in 100 years or 500 years or 1,000 years you, you won't exist anymore, it would have seemed utterly ludicrous. So I do not know specifically what America's future will be because it is not written in the Bible in a guaranteed way. And although I believe that the greatest days could be ahead by a miracle of God through massive revival and awakening— that is not written in stone. Even if it was a promise from God, we have to respond rightly to that promise. Based on the principle of Jeremiah 18, that when God decides to bless a nation, he's going to do it. That's his plan. That's his desire based on how that nation is living. And that nation turns from doing good to doing evil instead of blessing, he'll judge. Conversely, when he's about to judge, if that nation truly repents, turns from evil to doing good, instead he will bless. But, there are larger things that fuel my fire, a larger vision in terms of my overall understanding, expectation, faith. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Going to the phones in 30 seconds. Just a reminder that every week I'm putting out on average five new articles and several new videos. And these are all meant to equip you, help you, strengthen you, minister to you. If you're not getting my emails, you might well miss the latest article, the latest video, latest book announcement, or something about our, our tour to Israel next year. 
So it's really worth your while to go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Take a few seconds, sign up for the emails. You'll, you'll get put in our welcome tour, which you'll really enjoy. And we'll send you a free mini ebook on how to pray for America. All right, let's start over in Richmond, Virginia. Paul, what's your take on our subject today? Um, well, my take is I would question the statistics and where the statistics came from, because if you just consider COVID alone, I believe I've been lied to on the statistics of the amount of death due to COVID because the PCR test that was used was inaccurate. And I believe that remdesivir was given in a hospital setting that caused a lot of death that they then said was COVID. And I think we're, the media is so deceptive that we are lied to constantly. And if you don't look for alternative news sources. Right, but uh, Paul, let me just say this. To my knowledge, there is not dispute in any major way on any of the stats that I that I cite it today just for your information i fully understand the question about covid the skepticism about whether we're getting accurate information or things being suppressed fully understand the reason for the skepticism there but just just you know i we 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 quoted particular sites just for convenience but you can search kind of up and down and you're not you're not going to see a whole lot of of variance there to be candid in terms of things that have gone one way or, or the other in terms of crime stats. And again, it's mixed. Certain things are better. Certain things are, are worse. Hey, Paul, do you have an overall view about what the Bible says about the end and which way the world is going? Well, that was one of the reasons for my call today, because I'm yeah. hearing varying opinions, even on this same radio station, uh, about pre-trib uh, versus mid-trib, post-trib, amillennialism. And there are other terms. And when I was growing up as a child, I was always taught church would be raptured. But more and more people are saying that, uh, like, for example, many years ago, I was listening to the 700 Club, and I heard Pat Roberts say that the church would not be raptured. There would not be one person that goes and one that stays. There are people like Matthew Slick who do not believe in free trip. I have a friend who's researched it deeply that doesn't believe in free trip and yet um, I was listening last night to Jan Mark Hill of Olive Tree Ministries and they are very much free trip and yeah. understand why people would not be free trip. So, yeah, well you know Paul Paul to, well, I to mention to know what your, your Yeah yeah I, I wrote a whole book on it uh, together with Professor Craig Keener, I'm not afraid of the Antichrist, why we don't believe in a pre tribulation rapture. And in fact Jan was uh, going to host a debate between Professor Mark Hitchcock and I, a friendly debate on, on pre-trib versus post-trib, and then decided not to do it for whatever reason. Uh, so God bless Jan, God bless Mark. Yeah, I haven't believed in a pre-trib rapture for over 45 years, Paul, based on just reading the Bible on its own. And what I found for many, many, many years now is overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, people leaving that position based on study of the scripture. I have seen almost no movement for decades, almost no movement from someone who based on study of scripture was not pre-trib to becoming pre-trib. In contrast, I've seen, and it, it continues, I'm running into people constantly 
weekend before last, just talking to someone. It's like, yes, 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 their views changing. On a podcast with, with a younger colleague a few months back during the show, he said, I now have changed my views officially, no longer believe in pre-trib rapture. So overwhelmingly, as people just study the Bible on their own, they, they are abandoning a pre-trib view. Nonetheless, there are many who love Jesus and love the Word and feel that's what it teaches. The, the concerns I have are practical. In other words, we're going to have differences about the end of the age. And let's be frank. The Bible doesn't lay things out as a doctrinal theology textbook. Let's go to page one, subheading 4B.3, that says this will happen like this, this will happen like this. The Bible doesn't lay out the future in those ways, lest we try to make it happen ourselves or, or, make other errors with it. It's there to be studied and, and to unfold as it unfolds, becomes clearer and clearer. All that being said, we break it down on a practical level. Anything that says we're going to get out of here before it gets really bad is potentially dangerous. Anything that says, well, God would never allow us to go through certain things is potentially dangerous. And anything that does not help me to be an overcomer and have an attitude of all I need is God with me no matter what is potentially dangerous. Those would be the larger practical concerns. Hey, Paul, thank you for weighing in. Oh, oh also, let, let me say this. If you are convinced that the world is only going to get worse and worse and worse, all right? You are convinced that everything is, is going downhill from here on and Jesus is coming at any moment then why would you try to bring about positive change? What if you believed that during the days of segregation? Well, why fight against segregation if things are only going to get worse and Jesus is coming any moment? Why would you be fighting the battle for pro-life because things are only going to be getting worse and Jesus is coming at any moment? And on and on the list goes. You say, well, no one says that we can't do both. We can't evangelize and, and we can't work for these other causes. But, but if you know the thing's only getting worse, right? And you're sure of that based on your theology, then why spend any time that's not just evangelizing the lost and, or, and getting believers you know, ready to, to meet the Lord? Why do anything else? Here, think of this. <clears throat> if, if you have two wings of your hospital, you can only be in one wing at one time. And, and in one wing of the hospital are incurably ill patients. All treatments have been exhausted, and they are now on life support, right? The other wing of the hospital, you have patients who are critically ill but who are responding positively to all treatments and who have a prognosis of a healthy recovery. Where do you put your efforts you mourn for the patients that you lost, but where do you put your effort? You put your efforts into the wing of the hospital where you can cure people, where you can help people. So if you have the mentality, Jesus is coming any moment, why'd you just enroll for college then? Why are you getting new career vocational training? Why are you celebrating the fact that you and your spouse are about to have a baby? Because we're out of here any minute. You say, well, no, 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 you're taking this too literally. I'm taking this the way many have taken it for years. Look, there were, <laughs> there were people in 1988, and if you say, I don't accept these extremes, great, let's work together against these extremes. 
There were people in 1988 who read the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. The books were sold, but also distributed in, in large numbers for free. I believe the author was very sincere in writing what he wrote. He had it all worked out. I think it was published in Little Rock, Arkansas, and he had prophetic words that something special was going to come out of Little Rock. He wrote the book. And hey, we even have the date, right? Was it September 12th of 1988? We even have the date of when it's going to happen. Well, what do you do with credit cards? Use them. Why? Because you leave the bills to the Antichrist. You're out of here. You say, Mike, come on. Nobody did that. People did it. Many people acted irresponsibly. What? Why pay the mortgage this month if Jesus is coming this month, right? Why, why bother making the payment or the month before? Let's just use all the money to win the lost. Or, hey, we always wanted to go on this vacation. Let's go spend the money while we have time. People found themselves in debt. No, the Antichrist didn't get the bills. They got the bills. There are many others that, that don't go for long-term training that don't think about vocation that because Jesus is coming any minute. It's an irresponsible way to live. What's certain is that none of us have a guarantee of our next breath. Therefore, we should always be ready to meet the Lord. But other than that, we have to plan and live as if we have a lifetime and then do that in light of eternity. But what about what the Bible says about the end of the age? Can we think about that together? We'll do it when we come back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to the Line of Fire. If you want to take issue with anything I said, please call in. 866-348-7884. So as, as an author, I want to give you a little bit behind-the-scenes information here. A chosen Books reached out to Craig Keener and me to write a book together on why we don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, until that time, I had never written anything major on it at all. Barely addressed it in any of my books. Just didn't feel that I was to do that. The topic came up, I would teach accordingly. When I served as a leader in the Brownsville Revival, because the pastor of Brownsville Assembly of God, Pastor John Kilpatrick, whom I honor and respect, held to a pre-trib rapture, and Steve, Steve Hill, the evangelist, used in the revival. Uh, also, dear brother that I deeply respect, he's with the Lord now. So uh, because they both held to pre-trib rapture, in no way was I going to be divisive over this. This is a work that they invited me to be part of. And I told them when I was asked up front what I believe, but that I don't divide over it. So if you were a student in our ministry school, you're a student in our ministry school and uh, the question came up, Dr. Brown, what's your view on the rapture? Do you believe in pre-trib rapture? My answer would be, here are the various camps. Here are the different camps. Dr. Brown, what do you believe on it? It was the same for all faculty. They were instructed. Here are the various camps. Why? Because we were not going to be a divisive force in the midst of this. In other words, 
if Steve Hill's preaching his heart out one night, going for the lost, and we've got a few thousand people in the buildings and overflow, and we've got hundreds of our students there, and he's talking, he happens to reference, didn't come up much, but let's say he happens to reference a, a pre-trib rapture, right? He happens to say something about it. So in, in that setting, I don't want him to suddenly feel hundreds of people like, what? Does he believe that? Is that right? So in all the years working together day and night, it just was not going to be an issue that came up. I have worked with people literally for decades, and I actually don't know what they believe about pre-trib, post-trib, etc. Don't know. It's, it's not come up. We've worked together. I preach for them. We've ministered side by side. We've taught together. It's never come up. So when we were asked to do it, though, we, we both had the same spirit. We don't want to be divisive. We want to be irenic and honoring of our brothers and sisters that hold to pre-trib theology. Both of us got saved in churches that hold to pre-trib theology. But in a constructive and edifying way, we'll lay out why we don't and especially build into people the spirit of the overcomer that Scripture speaks about so often. And in the book of Revelation, the promises to the seven churches in Asia Minor, to him who overcomes, to the one who overcomes, right? So that's especially what we wanted to communicate, that attitude in the midst of suffering, pain, hardship, and loss. So, and the promise that God will protect us from his wrath. He can do that right here while we're on the earth. So when we wrote the book, we both thought the title would be Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-Tribulation Rapture. Uh, Chosen felt a better title would be Not Afraid of the Antichrist, Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-Tribulation Rapture. So we, it wasn't a big deal. We accepted it. But my concern was that people would take it as an accusation that if you are a pre-trib that you're afraid of the Antichrist. That was never our intent. That was never, ever our intent. And when we explained it later to the publisher, they, they understood our, our viewpoint and, and would have gladly used a different title. The title was secondary, right, based on that, if, if they had understood that concern up front. So, or if we had expressed it more forcefully up front. Either way, my point is, I am not making an accusation that if you hold to a pre-trib rapture that you are therefore escapist. I'm not saying that. Some of you are, right? But many of you are not. I'm not saying that if you hold to a pre-trib rapture that you are afraid of the Antichrist. That may be utterly ludicrous for me. Like, who even thinks about that? What I'm saying is there can be dangerous outgrowths of this. There can be dangerous implications that flow from this. And therefore, it's really important that we look at the issues that we think through biblically, and then we say, okay, how does this affect the way I live today? Are there verses in the New Testament that talk about increasing wickedness and darkness in the end times? Yes, there are. There certainly are. And when you realize that the New Testament period from the death and resurrection of Jesus until the end of the age, when you recognize that that is, quote, the last days, Numerous New Testament verses that, that say that in Acts, the second chapter, in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, in uh, Hebrews 1, in James, Jacob 5, 1 Peter 1, 1 John 2, which even speaks of the last hour. So last days, end of the ages, those kind of things. There are verses that do speak of wickedness and apostasy in the last days, meaning in this New Testament period, and some verses 
that would seem to speak of things getting worse and worse and people getting worse and worse. You have other passages like Romans 13, uh, which, which ends by saying that the, the, the night is nearly past, the day is at hand. Or 1 John 2, that the true light is already shining in the world. And you have prophetic passages about light shining in the midst of darkness. I personally understand that as we get closer to the end of the age, that we will see increasing parallel extremes. As I understand scripture, I'm not dogmatic on this, meaning that this is a hill I'm going to die on. And I, under no circumstances, would divide over this. If this was the principal point of difference between a ministry and me, or a church organization and me, or an individual and me, I would never think of dividing over this point for a split second. My understanding, as we get closer to the end of the age, that we will see, see increased parallel extremes, all right? That we will see wickedness like we've never seen it, and the moving of God like we've never seen it. Remember Acts 2, last day's promise, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. That's a last day's promise. Peter puts the words in the last days into Joel's quote from, from Joel 2.28, which is then in Acts 2.14 and following, verse 17, where he begins to quote it. So without question, I see massive outpouring as that has been increasing for many years around the world. Unprecedented growth of the gospel, which continues at a massive pace around the world. I mean, one day we'll find out everything that's been happening in Iran, but but the church in Iran, underground, with a lot of women leading home groups, the church in Iran is one of the fastest growing churches on the planet in, in militant Islamic Iran. So I see this great increase of the gospel at the same time, great increase in perversion, wickedness, and in human ability to destroy. So I see those things growing even now, but at the end of the age, I believe they'll get even worse and even better. That, that Satan will will begin to unleash his fury and in that sense come out of hiding even more and more and more to be openly leading people astray with counterfeit signs and wonders and miracles and other deceptions and that God will stretch out his hand and in that sense come out of hiding with a, a more visible display of his power. Just like the conflict with Moses and the magicians in Egypt. It was just out there and both sides saying, oh yeah, oh yeah, until the other side couldn't say oh yeah anymore because they were put down by the truth of the kingdom of God. The harvest, what does Jesus say? The harvest is the end of the age. So what does that mean? There's going to be a great catch with good and with bad, that that's what's going to happen increasingly. So I see the negative verses. I see the bad verses. I see the, the verses about destruction and chaos. And again, the reading of the book of Revelation, if that is to be read primarily in a futurist way, as opposed to not mainly visionary symbolic, much of it of what already happened in the past with the future parts, the second coming, the millennial kingdom in the New Jerusalem still future. Depending on how you see the book of Revelation, you may see even more darkness plagues, but then even so, that's, that's right at the tail end of the tail end. And even in the midst of it, God's kingdom at work and God's saints being there. How can you have a multitude, this is how we're reading it, is coming out of a future tribulation period, a multitude that no one could number. We have the number 200 million in the book of Revelation. Was it Revelation 9? We have that number of, of a massive demonic army of 200 million. 
that can be numbered. But the martyrs coming out of great tribulation, if you want to make that future, that's how you understand it, they can't be numbered. Well, if you're having mar if you're having multiplied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of martyrs, and you take that as a literal number, then how many believers are there on the planet? So I, I see both unfolding. What attitude does that give me for today? Well, I don't know where we stand. I can't tell you that we've got five years left, 10 years left, 50 years left, 100 years. I can't tell you that. If you can show me chapter and verse that'll help me understand that, fine. But I can't tell you that because I don't see it clearly enough written in Scripture. What I know is we are in urgent times today, the most urgent times I can remember in my lifetime. But the world has been in urgent times often through history. And what is certain is God. What is certain is the word. What is certain is the kingdom. What is certain is the gospel. What is certain is divine truths. What is certain is that light overcomes darkness. What is certain is that God triumphs over Satan. What is certain is that Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death. That's what's going to fuel my fire. The other stuff is very, very secondary to me in terms of the details of how everything unfolds because the major things are clear. That's what I'm building my life and ministry on. Do the same and you'll be blessed. Another program powered by the Truth Network.